I want to read to you again the gospel reading, but in my own translation from the original language, from the Greek. See if you can pick up on any subtle differences. And immediately he, Jesus, upon coming out of their synagogue, went into the house of Simon and Andrew, along with James and John. And Peter's mother-in-law was lying prone, burning up with fever. And immediately they tell him about her. And he approached and raised her by grasping her hand. And the fever left her, and she proceeded to serve them. And after evening had fallen, when the sun had set, they proceeded to bring Jesus all those in bad condition and those who were being afflicted by demons. And the whole city was gathered together facing the door. And he healed many in bad shape because of various diseases, and he expelled many demons. And he would not allow the demons to try to speak because they knew him. And early in the middle of the night, Jesus arose and went out and went away into a desert place. And there he proceeded to play. Or, sorry, pray. Play is not my translation. He proceeded to pray. And Simon hunted him down and those with him. And they found him and say to him, everyone's looking for you. And he says to them, let's go somewhere else into the neighboring market town so that I can preach there too because you know this is why I've gone out. And he went proclaiming in their synagogues into all of Galilee and throwing out the demons. Now, I don't know what you're thinking about this text, but think about this. Jesus doesn't hesitate to touch those with whom he comes into contact. I want to know what you think about that. The part about Jesus approaching Simon's mother-in-law and grasping her by the hand and pulling her up and her just miraculously being healed. I want to know what you think. In fact, I want to know so much what you think I want to hear it right now. I don't want to wait until the end of the service and we're all trying to get out at the same time and we don't really have the time for that. I want you to tell me what you think of Jesus immediately taking hold of the people he interacts with. Not just Peter's mother-in-law, but people with highly communicable diseases and sinners, all of them. Tell me what you think. Go ahead, Dan. Walk, walk down the aisle and uh, someone wants to talk. That's good. I, I know you're not used to this, but I, I'm asking you to interact with God's Word vocally rather than sitting there passively and expressionless because I'm not asking for a deep theological interpretation. I'm not even asking you what it means to you. Just tell me what you think about Jesus raising Simon's mother-in-law. I, I believe that uh, Jesus is a very loving, compassionate man. He, he did not come to uh, earth as a man to, to heal people. He really came to spread the good news of God, what, mm -hmm. who God is, what God's all about. Okay. But th so this was like a secondary uh, function. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I just would say praise God that he would look at each of us and reach out to us regardless of our condition. Oh, okay, good. Good thinking. Not surprised that he would grasp or touches those who he comes in contact with. Okay. I think it's marvelous that he was so compassionate 
and that he knew he had the ability to heal her. He didn't question, he just did it. Just did it, okay. Walked right up and, and pulled her up. Uh, yesterday in the men's Bible study, we were talking about how Paul passed on the Holy Spirit via his touch. And I think Christ provided that example of his touch healed, but also could have passed on the Holy Spirit, maybe not a secondary so much as a primary way that the pastor lays a, his hands on a newborn infant for baptism. Um, when you shake hands, I don't know, you're passing on something that is reflective of Christ's gift to us. Okay. Uh, again, that was a shameless plug for the men's group on Saturday morning oh. at 9 a.m. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, you're thinking. That's good. I'm, I'm glad. And I, and I, and I thank you for, uh, for uh, telling me. Because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've been up here for eight years, and rarely do I have any idea what you're thinking about this stuff. Rarely. I mean, some of you do tell me occasionally, but uh, thank you. Did you know there was another guy around the time of Jesus doing the same thing? His name was... Apollonius of Tyana and his career as a miracle worker, well, we only have one thing. We only, we only know this because of one document, uh, a biography that was written about him in the year 222. According to this biography, <clears throat> an Egyptian god speaks to Apollonius' mother in a dream. At his birth, swans sing and lightning strikes causing people in the countryside to declare that he is the son of Zeus. When he's old enough to go to school, he amazes his teachers with the power of his memory and his beauty. He performs miracles. He vanishes at the end of his life and no grave is found and he appears in a dream to an unbelieving disciple. A kind of ascension happens in a Greek temple where a choir of virgins sing, Leave the earth and come to heaven. Seems to parallel in some way Jesus' life, doesn't it? All this comes from one piece of written history, if it is to be believed in the first place. That's the thing, though. See, no one believes in Apollonius. He's a uh, novelty of antiquity. If Jesus had only one written account, perhaps he'd be a novelty of antiquity as well. But there are four accounts of Jesus, plus the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and some of the other disciples. And here's what makes Jesus distinct from Apollonius. And this is important because the Romans used Apollonius for a while as a defense against Christianity. Jesus' miracles are understood as shows of force. They revealed Jesus as the final and ultimate prophet of God, the one who was announcing that the reign and rule of God is here, now. That the end of things as we know it are coming and the new earth is about to be made with us along with it. No one else in history makes this claim. That's what Jesus is doing with Peter's mother-in-law. He isn't grasping her hand and raising her up just for her sake, so that she would feel better and start making those hard-working, hungry boys something to eat. He's proclaiming that he's the one who's bringing in the kingdom of God. 
It's here now in Him and everyone needs to hear it and believe it so that they too can be raised up on the last day. That's something to think about, isn't it? Jesus' miracles are so much more than just people being overjoyed and happy that they're no longer sick or blind or lame or dead. Jesus will perform this same miracle for you and me. And he's already started it in our baptism. While we were still sinners, whether it was when we were born or later on in life, he grasped your hand and mine and raised us up with him in this sacrament. Not only that, but at this other sacrament, at his table, he continues to forgive you all your sin and gives you strength to endure to the end. He takes hold of you again because he's here in the bread and the wine. People who want to touch the face of God and all that, you know, those who are searching and yearning for the truth and, and wanting to, to touch God, why don't they let him touch them? I mean, it's so simple. Just come here and let it happen. He can, you know. Well, People should know this, but how will they know unless we proclaim, unless we, to, uh, unless we continue to carry out this mission of proclamation which Jesus started with his miracles? And that leads me to one more thing. I want to know what you, I want to, I want, I want to know what you think about the part where the disciples hunt Jesus down which is a strong translation, but I think it's a good one because uh, it shows that he was hard to find and that they were getting irritated that it was taking so long to find him. It's, it's very reminiscent of when he was 12 years old <clears throat> in the synagogue or in the, the, uh, Jerusalem and his parents couldn't find him. Anyway, the disciples argue with him and he argues back. Let's go somewhere else. Let's get out of here and tell more people in some other places where there are lots of them. You know, in the marketplaces the, uh, where people are coming and going. I think wherever he does these miracles, the people there get excited about it and get detracted from his main message. So he moves on. Tell me what you think about this remarkably human behavior of Jesus. One more time. Go ahead, Craig. You're closest to the microphone. What do you think about this remarkable human behavior of Jesus? Go ahead, Larry. Yeah, Jesus, let's go somewhere else. Oh, let's get Jesus out of here. Needed, Jesus needed to get uh, away arguing with the disciples, hard to find, arguing with the disciples and saying, let's get out of here. Well, let's, go get, let's go find some other people. I think Jesus needed to get, like with him, he needed to get away and talk to his father and get what, what we would be calling recharged and re-energized for then when he comes back and says, let's move on. In other yeah. words... He needed to spend some time with his father to, to not only for a, to get a rest and a break from, from what he was doing, but to get maybe further instructions as to yeah. what to uh, do. Yeah, good. <clears throat> I just want to know what you think about that. You know, we often have heard, we often think of Jesus saying, let us now depart into the wilderness and go tell people, you know, this. And, but in the original language, he comes out as quite irritated. What do you think about that? He's on a mission. Go ahead. I think that all humans can wear down themselves by others 
And I think that what he was trying to do was to spend some time himself in prayer. And he was, um, he was ready to go on and help more people. But he wanted to be in an area that didn't know him and what he did. And that was his way to truly be, as we would say today, a missionary. Okay. All right. You know, I pray for and I pray for and wait on God. I, we all do in our prayers here at the church or at home. You know, we pray for and wait on God for miracles for those who need it now. You know, our loved ones who are sick, ourselves or people we know. Oftentimes, losing track of the promise that, yes, <clears throat> the healing will definitely take place on the day of resurrection. That's a promise. That is, that is not going to be taken away. This isn't to say that God doesn't heal now and that we should stop praying for those things. He does and he wants us to hear and trust in the resurrection. That the reign and the rule of God is here now. And to be prepared for it now. And also when it finally, when the last day arrives. Whether it's when you're laying prone, flat on your back in the hospital, in hospice, or at home, burning up with fever, or some other condition, and the end is near, or right now when we think we've got all the time in the world before He returns. I ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and your ears, and mine too, even more to the promise of forgiveness and life that lasts forever, and to give you encouragement and the words to say, as you proclaim this good news to the people in which you come in contact with and touch them with the love of Jesus. Amen.